Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning, and today's reading is Psalm 115 from the New International Version. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him, but their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. It is not the dead who praise the Lord. Those who go down to the place of silence, it is we who extol the Lord, but both now and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Yes, so I will continue on with our our series. Let me pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word, that uh, that it's a light and a guide to us, that it enables us to encounter you and understand who you are. Lord, I pray that this morning as we, uh, as we get into your word, as we wrestle with it a bit, that, uh, that you'd speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would transform us, and that we would encounter Jesus, the living one in it. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So at different times in my life, I found myself thinking that I would be happy or happier if I had different certain things. Uh, and uh, if I lived in a certain place, had a certain job, achieved a particular qualification, was involved in the right relationship, that I'd be satisfied, that I'd be comfortable, peaceful, secure and happy. I found myself again thinking like this recently as I was watching a, a show on ABC iview during lockdown, called The Durrells. I don't know if any of you have seen it. I don't recommend it, but um, I watched it. (laughs) Anyway, it's a show about this British family in the 1930s, just before the war. And uh, they sort of have a fairly miserable life because um, the woman's husband, Louise Durrell's husband, died and the the children's uh, father died, of course. And so to break out of this drudgery... The mother, Louise, takes, decides that she's going to take them out of the UK and take them to live 
on the island of Corfu in Greece. And so the the first few episodes portray this island of Corfu in in a really idyllic sort of, as an idyllic location. And as I watched myself, I found myself in COVID-19 Melbourne, dreary Melbourne when it's raining, longing to escape to Corfu ourselves. I'd take the whole family, of course. And uh, I found myself imagining how satisfied and happy that I would be living by the turquoise sea. And, uh, and uh, if some advertising boffin had been very clever and had come on with an advert at the end of the show, the first episode, offering packaged holidays to Corfu, then I would have been buying one right there and then online. What I wanted, though, was I wanted to buy into this dream, into this ideal that was being portrayed on the screen. But those who have watched the series, and I don't recommend it, <laughs> you realise that after watching a number of episodes that life on Corfu wasn't exactly paradise and it wasn't the paradise that it was made out to be. It showed in actual fact that you can be sitting by the turquoise sea and be terribly unhappy because it doesn't deliver really what it promises. But it's not just Greek islands that make me think like this or perhaps make you think like that as well. I find it too easy to think that my happiness, my needs, my self-esteem, my security uh, can be actually met or gained or achieved by having something in my life that I don't currently have. It usually begins with that statement, with that question that I asked you before, that we subconsciously often have in our minds, I'll be happy when dot, dot, dot. I'll be happy when I get this thing. I'll be happy when I achieve this thing. I'll be happy when I'm like this person, having these qualities, having these characteristics. Mark Sayer in his book, The Trouble with Paris, following Jesus in a world full of plastic promises, says that many of us are actually in limbo, constantly waiting for our awesome lives to turn up. The lives that the the glossy brochures Promise us. Some people see the promise of an awesome life in the stunningly beautiful young woman who's on the cover of a fashion magazine. And so they buy the magazine because it promises to give up the secrets of how to be beautiful, glamorous, and successful like her. But when when you do this, you often overlook the fact that the the girl on the, the cover has actually had all her imperfections airbrushed away by some clever graphic designer. She's most likely still an attractive young woman, but actually if you walk past her on the street, you might not recognise her as the same person who's on the front cover because because her image has been altered in, in that way. Yet you still purchase the magazine because you buy into the idea that if I can just look like her, if I can attain her beauty, then you'll feel truly beautiful yourself and you'll be satisfied with who you are and perhaps even be accepted by others. But the truth is that even extreme beauty or success 
are like mirages that actually evaporate the closer you get to them. People who look, who look like they've really made it in life, uh, people who, who, who have really seem to have achieved things often say that uh, achieving the goal of their life didn't live up to the promises that were made to them of achieving it. The female pop icon of the 1980s and 90s, Madonna, said this in, magazine, in the magazine Vanity Fair. She said, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and I discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and I think I'm mediocre and I'm uninteresting. My drive in life, she says, is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. We live in a time when we're bombarded by illusions of idyllic lifestyles, of success, of fame, of beauty, of power, of sexual fulfilment, while we constantly experience disillusionment at not actually able to not actually being able to attain them. Many of you know the things that you seek in life and that you strive for. You know that they're not actually delivering the promises that, that you hold in them or that you have in them. But instead of seeing them for what they are and calling them out as life-depleting idols, you push on like Madonna from one thing to the next, thinking that this will be the thing that will deliver me and this will be the thing that will make my life complete. But when we place our hope, our trust and security in things, in people or achievements or experiences, we can make those things into idols. We used to think of idols as carved objects that uh, people bow before and things that perhaps only primitive people use in time gone by. But idols are much more subtle than that. An idol can be made out of anything. They can even not even be a physical object. They can be actually ideas of our heart and of our mind. An idol can be made from good things in life as well, such as a career, a romance, a girl or boyfriend, a marriage partner, an achievement, physical beauty, possessions, bank balances, retirement plans or accounts. None of these things are, uh, are bad. In fact, many of them are very good things in life to have. But they become idols when we believe that they are the things that give us ultimate significance, security, satisfaction and fulfilment in life. If you look to these things to give you ultimate significance, security and fulfilment or whatever it is you want from them, then sadly you'll find that they won't live up to what you hope for from them and you'll find yourself in time let down by them. Mark Sayer tells a story in his book about a girl whom he met at a party in his book, uh, The Trouble with Paris. Uh, the girl he met was deeply unhappy and uh, as they got talking, she told him that she'd lost focus. 
She was waking up lethargic. She was finding herself crying for no real reason, all signs that really signify someone's depressed. But in the course of their conversation, she told him that she was, that she was sort of feeling stale uh, and uh, because she'd been living in the same house for, for three years and she was tired of her job and she wanted a change. And so the solution, her solution, she told him, was that she was going to move to Paris. She was convinced that Paris would make her happy. Being in Paris, she said, would freshen up her life because in Paris she would experience new things, exciting things. All she needed to do was to travel, to find new friends, get a new job, and things would be perfect. Six months after this conversation with the girl at the party, Mark Sayers says that he actually got an email from her telling her that, telling him that she was now in Ireland. Paris wasn't what she'd expected it to be. And the truth is, Ireland won't deliver it for her either. And what you are currently putting your trust in won't deliver it for you either because your deep longings, your deep needs, your desires cannot be met by trusting and believing in plastic promises. We're challenged daily, even hourly, to put our trust in plastic promises, aren't we? The internet, (laughs) the streaming, the adverts, life around us is putting up plastic promises to us all the time. But this problem is not a new problem. It's not just a 21st century or 2020 problem. The things that we are called to put our trust in might be different today, but the issue of putting your trust and your hope in things that don't deliver is an age-old problem. But the good news for us is that in Psalm 115, as Ben read for us before, we have an ancient solution to both an old problem and a 21st century issue. And we need to listen to what the psalm writer says if we want to put an end to being conned by plastic promises and instead to experience hope and true hope and joy and peace in our lives, which he calls flourishing in that psalm. Here in Psalm 115, the psalmist starts his argument for trusting in God instead of idols with a bold statement about the nature of God, saying that God is actually in heaven and and he does what he pleases. At first, this phrase sounds like the psalm writer is saying that that God's far away and he's completely unpredictable, but uh, which if he was, that would make him really hard to put your trust in him, wouldn't it? It would make you hard to trust that he could deliver some promises. But he's not actually saying that. What he's actually saying is that God is not just some local God or some local idol that uh, people would carve and make and put in their house or in their field to protect that small space. What he's saying is that the God is the God who created the heavens and the earth and he can't be compared to any idol in terms of authority or power and ability to deliver promises. There's no comparison. You see, comparing God with idols is not just a matter of comparing red apples with green apples. It's not even a matter of comparing apples and oranges. He's saying that the God of creation is a completely different entity altogether which makes him worth trusting. 
because he has the power and he has the ability to deliver on his promises. And scripture shows that he has and will. After stating this difference, the psalm writer then begins to unpack what idols are so that the Israelites can actually get a clearer picture of them, of what they're being actually conned by. He says that the nations, he says the nations' idols are silver and gold and they're made by human hands. Okay, they're things that are being made from metal. They have mouths, but they can't speak, eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear. In other words, they're things that, that appear to be able to do things for you. They look like they can hear. They look like they can see and talk. But in actual fact, they are deaf, blind and mute, which is why they can't deliver. It's why they can't deliver what they promise. But the psalmist is not saying that we shouldn't just dismiss idols uh, as nothing. Rather, he's saying that you actually have to do something with the idols in your life because they do have power over you. They can have power over you. You see, the real problem with idols, he says in verse 8, is that those who make them and those who trust in them actually become like them. The idols are dead, but they still have power. This is the real problem with trusting and looking to other things apart from God. You see, trusting in idols makes us like them. And so so what they do is they actually suck the life out of us and they leave us depleted and completely unsatisfied. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, uh, the writer of, Two Kings says the same thing. He says that those who followed worthless idols themselves became worthless. You become numbed by them. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul told the new Christians in Rome that trusting and worshipping other things apart from God actually made them fools. When we place our trust in plastic promises, which is what idols are, we end up losing perspective and our lives become depleted by them. We can even take good things, beautiful things that are in our life, and we can turn them into idols. And when we do this, they actually end up working against us and giving us the opposite, the exact opposite of what we seek. When uh, Wendy and I first went to live in Malawi, we, we actually tried to buy some land in the town of Mangochi, uh, which is one of the major towns in the area where the Yao live. And the land department there were very helpful and they actually gave us this choice block of land. They said we could buy this beautiful block of land on the shore, on the, alongside the, the Shiri River, along the bank of, of the river. And uh, it was an awesome place to build a block of land. And I, uh, I built a house. And I, <clears throat> it was cool. It was scenic. Uh, and I imagined myself sitting there of an evening looking across the river up into the mountains in the distance and just, you know, contemplating life and God. And uh, once we got verbal approval that the land was ours, we began to arrange for the land to be cleared 
But soon after we started clearing it, we received this letter from a Malawian man who was uh, actually living and working in the United States. And he said in the letter that he actually owned that piece of land. And uh, he said that the government had been wrong to sell it to us. And uh, I remember reading the letter feeling really disappointed uh, by it because I'd already pictured myself living there, living the dream. <laughs> and, uh, but it was actually the final line of the letter that startled me most. The man finished his letter saying, this piece of land by the river is worth more to me than my life. If this is not a loss of perspective, I don't know what is. Anyway, we decided we'd walk away from the land. We weren't going to battle with him for that land. And uh, the town council gave us another plot of land uh, without a view and in a very hot place. But we survived. They kept us humble and hot. I don't know whatever happened to the owner of that land, but I do know what happened to the land. You see... As ideal as this piece of land was by the shore on the on the shore of uh, the Shiri River, it was never going to deliver what we all thought that it promised. You see, it turned out to be a plastic promise for him as well. Although the land overlooked the river, and although it was alongside the river, the land didn't actually include river frontage, and so in time. Someone else came and built on the very slim slither of land in front of that block of land a bar and nightclub. (laughs) And so instead of a cool and tranquil spot, the place became synonymous with drinking and partying and loud music and all night sort of carrying on. That's the trouble, you see, with plastic promises and counterfeit gods. They ultimately disappoint, and in many ways, they destroy us. Could I have a glass of water, please? What can be done? How do we stop trusting in plastic promises? The psalmist points to the solution, which is why the psalm, why the psalms in many ways are ancient solutions to 21st century issues. The solutions, says the psalmist, is to shift your trust from idols to the Lord God. But in order to do this, you first need to take stock of the idols in your life. You need to identify who or what you are trusting in instead of God. You may need to pray and actually ask God to show you what these things are if they're not obvious already. The psalmist models what this looks like in verses 4 to 7 of Psalm 115. Here he begins to deconstruct idols. He names the things that people are trusting in. He says they are things of stone, wood and metal. Thank you. Excuse me. He says there are things of stone and wood and metal made by human hands. He exposes the idols as lifeless objects that that can't hear them when they ask for things or even speak to them or give them what they want. Like Israel, many of us are looking to things that can't or won't deliver what they promise. 
But when have you really actually sat down and thought about the things that you do hope and trust in? When have you actually taken stock? When have you thought about the hyper-reality that you're served up on the TV and on our streaming services that you subscribe to? When have you sat down and thought that everything that you see on social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram are not real or authentic? I mean, let's face it, who posts a picture of themselves in Queensland on the beach when it's raining? Nobody. (laughs) But guess what? It rains in Queensland a lot. It's not only beautiful one day, perfect the next. There are rainy days. There are bad days. There are messy days living in Queensland, just like anywhere. When do you see a picture of a supermodel on a, on a magazine cover without makeup on. Never. But she wakes up just like you and I do. She has bags and wrinkles under her eyes and thinks, oh, wow, <laughs> uh, that's not a good look. <clears throat> when do you see an advert for a four-wheel drive on the television and you see it stuck in mud uh, for days on end, so stuck that actually it can't get out by itself and needs a, needs a tractor to come and pull it out. Never. But it happens. <clears throat> when I got our first four-wheel drive in Malawi, I read the, gloss, the, the, the glossy brochure and I thought, this vehicle gives me a licence to go anywhere. <laughs> well, 24 hours of continual pushing and digging and pulling my vehicle out of a bog soon dispelled that myth completely. We have believed in many plastic promises, but we need to hold them up to the light and appraise them more honestly if we actually want to flourish in this life and flourish in the next. But just naming your idols and even rejecting them is not enough because our hearts are actually idol-making factories. You see, even if we name all the current idols that we have and reject them, we can so easily put other idols in their place, can't we? This is because we've got this need for approval. We've got this need to feel significant, to feel worthy, to, to feel secure, to feel attractive and successful. And so we are constantly looking for other things to put in the place of those idols that we toss away. The psalmist says that there's only one lasting way to deal with the idols in your life. There's only one way to deal with the plastic promises that keep bombarding you, and that is to shift your trust somewhere else, but not to those things. You need to shift your trust in them to trusting and worshipping God, the God of all creation, who is worthy of worship because he has your best interests in his heart and because he's completely trustworthy to deliver the lasting promises that he makes to you. You see, God has no other agenda apart from loving you and wanting to see you transformed so that you can flourish in this life and the next. The psalmist has just told us that the people, the people who trust in idols become like them. They become dead and lifeless. 
So the same principle, though, is at work for people who trust in the living God also. You see, when you trust in God, you become like God, you become full of life, you become flourishing. The Apostle Paul told the Christians in Corinth that when we contemplate the Lord's glory, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. We're made alive by Christ. We actually truly start to live when you're in Christ. And the reason that Jesus is able to make us alive and transform us to be like God is because he is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, as it says in the book of Hebrews. And he does this work in us through the power of his spirit as we spend more time with him, as we contemplate him, as we follow him, we become like him. Are you tired of trusting in plastic promises that evaporate the closer you get to them? If you are, then I am as well. Then you can, then, uh, you can start to get an idea about what you've been trusting in by asking yourself the following questions. You see, you need to uncover where your trust currently is. And so you can ask yourself some of these questions if you want to get to the heart of it. To whom or what do I look to for security and acceptance? Be honest. This is, these are questions that go deep to our heart that we need to be honest with. What do I really believe will bring me satisfaction in this life? I don't want a Sunday school answer. God doesn't want a Sunday school answer. He wants you to be honest with him. And until you're honest with him, things won't change in your life. What do I really believe will make me happy? What do I believe will make me an acceptable person to myself and to others? Maybe you've been living, trying to live up to someone else's promise or someone else's ideals. Why do I drive myself to work so hard and to seek perfection in what I do? What's causing that? You see, these sort of questions and others like them can help us become honest with ourselves and show, show us some of the things that we are trusting in apart from God. As you reflect on these questions, ask yourself also another question. And this is probably the most important question. Has what you've been trusting in until now delivered what it promised you? If it hasn't, then it's time that you name them for what they really are. Empty, lifeless, life-depleting idols, plastic promises. Isn't it time to admit to yourself that they never will give you what you seek? Isn't it time to trust in God and allow him to fulfill his promises for you in your life? The answer to your deep longings are not found in plastic promises that are made by people or in things of this world, but are found in God. And because of this, you need to take the step of asking God to help you shift your trust to him. C.S. Lewis says, 
most people, if they had really learned to look into their hearts, into their own hearts, they would know that they want something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or when we first think of some foreign country or or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. Lewis then goes on to say, if I find myself, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world and I was made for someone else to satisfy me. Friends, your needs are never going to be met by the created things of this world. You are made for eternity and you are made for God to fulfil you. It's not that life is doomed or that everything in life is bad. Don't get me wrong there. You are made to flourish in this life and also in the next. But the starting place of flourishing is to shift your trust to God because he can actually deliver the promises that he makes. I'm not sure what your, where you are on the journey of life. All of us are at different stages of this journey through life. Some of you are just starting out. Some of you are looking at those glossy brochures thinking that you can get everything that they offer, thinking that they will give you what they promise. Others of you have trusted in many plastic promises over the years. And until now, you've just thought, well, perhaps I'm unlucky (laughs) that that things haven't turned up or haven't haven't, uh, gone right so far. But you still have hope that the next thing that you look to will give you what you want and what you desire. Others of you are exhausted by your quest and have become cynical, wondering if there is any lasting satisfaction, any hope, any security, any joy to be had in this life or even the next. Friends, no matter what stage of life you're at, It's time to listen to Jesus' invitation, his call for you to trust in him because he alone can satisfy your soul and he can deliver the deepest longings of your heart. Today, we need to listen afresh to Jesus and listen to his words because they're relevant to us as they were when he first said them. In John 10, 10, He says the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, the thief behind all those empty plastic promises is the evil one, is the devil. He only seeks to sap your hope and your joy and your peace. He only wants to see you lifeless. Whereas Jesus came not just talking big, but delivering big, securing and fulfilling the promises of God for us when he gave his life away for us and ensured that we receive the Holy Spirit 
when we trust in him. Friends, as we sing our final song, I want to ask you to think about the idols in your life, the plastic promises that you have been believing in. I want you to name them this morning. I want you to name them and tell them to Jesus as we sing this next song. And I want to to encourage you to shift your allegiance from those things to trusting in God today through the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell Jesus that you're tired of seeking life in those lifeless idols and plastic promises and that you know that through him alone is life to the full and only in him will you flourish. Why don't you do that today? Jesus is inviting you to trust in him afresh. Don't delay. Thank you, Ben.